While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 271, The Fate of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. We return to the Pergamon Museum in Berlin, where, as we have seen, archaeologists have resurrected ancient Babylon itself, the Babel of King Nebuchadnezzar, bringing its gates and palaces to Europe brick by brick so that visitors to the museum could stand before them, experience them, as its inhabitants did thousands of years ago. Even to a tourist with little knowledge of history in the Bible, it is still extraordinary, but it is especially so for the religious Jew who is aware of the identity of the monarch who oversaw the elevation of these edifices as a manifestation of his might, King Nebuchadnezzar, who conquered Jerusalem and burned the temple. The museum also has, on this structure, the inscription of Nebuchadnezzar himself, glorying in how this gate adorns his magnificent city. I, Nebuchadnezzar, laid the foundation of the gates down to the groundwater level and had them built out of pure blue stone. Upon the walls in the inner room of the gate are bulls and dragons, and thus I magnificently adorned them with luxurious splendor for all mankind to behold in awe, end quote. The point, in other words, is that, like so many other ancient monarchs, Nebuchadnezzar assumed that he would inspire awe, fear, and abject worship in all who saw what he had built. But there were four Jews in his palace who did not worship the king. Four Jews who attracted Nebuchadnezzar's admiration, but also his fury and tyranny. Jews who warned him as to whom the true source of power in history actually is. Jews whose legacy speaks to us across the ages, and especially for anyone who stands in the Pergamon Museum today. The book of Daniel is in a certain sense a mirror image of the book of Esther. Esther originally hides her identity, whereas Daniel's identity as a Jew is always at the heart of his career and public pronouncements. Esther, as we have seen, is forced to use her own remarkable political intuition in order to decide what to do, whereas Daniel is provided a form of direct divine inspiration. Unlike Esther's story, where God's hand in history is hidden, in Daniel we are told again and again that God has a larger plan for the unfolding of history. Unlike Esther's story in which no explicit manifestations of the Almighty are to be found, the book of Daniel is marked by miraculous salvations granted by God to Daniel and his three compatriots, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as rewards for their steadfast Jewish faith and identity. And, whereas Esther must manipulate the mercurial Ahasuerosh, Using statecraft and in recognition of realpolitik, Daniel and his comrades find themselves at times steadfastly standing in the name of God against the arrogance of the king they serve, a king whose self-aggrandizement drives him to tyrannically seek to impose his paganism upon them. Thus we are told in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Thus, an enormous statue was created. All bowed down to it, but Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
who have been bestowed Babylonian names by Nebuchadnezzar, refuse. Verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, pipe, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So Nebuchadnezzar is told. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, of course, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Because Esther and Daniel are mirror images as texts, we are meant to note the striking similarity between the two that comes through. These three Jews refuse to bow, and Mordechai refuses to bow. Mordechai's refusal is utilized as a reason for Haman to turn the monarch against all the Jews. And here too we are told that the Chaldeans accused the Jews, seizing the moment to turn Nebuchadnezzar against an entire people. Nebuchadnezzar in turn orders these three Jews to engage in idolatry, adding in verse 15, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? The three Jews are, pun intended, unbowed. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from thy burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy God, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spoke and commanded that they should heat the furnace seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their pants and their hats and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flames of the fire slew those men that seized Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Note, ladies and gentlemen, how the text calls these men, these three Jews, by their Babylonian names. Perhaps, as with Esther, we are meant to understand that their identity as faithful Jews overrides whatever status has been granted them at court. Suddenly, the king, in wonder, sees the three Jews survive the flames, protected by an angelic fourth figure. Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spoke and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are taken out of the furnace, and we are told in verse 27. And the prince's governors and captains and the king counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. But Nebuchadnezzar does not learn the central lesson, which is to refrain from divinizing himself. Thus we are told in the next chapter how the king of Babel has another dream depicting a huge tree whose head reaches the heavens that is ultimately cut down. Daniel informs Nebuchadnezzar as to the meaning of the vision. The king is the tree. He has been granted greatness by God, but he has allowed his own status to inspire arrogance. Daniel advises contrition and repentance. 
in order to prevent punishment, but this does not occur, and all of which Daniel warns comes to be. And the punishment descends strikingly when Nebuchadnezzar, in all his arrogance, utters words of self-aggrandizement that are very similar to those inscribed on the ruins in the Pergamon Museum. Chapter 4, verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spoke and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagles' feathers, and his nails like birds' claws. Nebuchadnezzar, in other words, loses his mind for anyone who reads it. But when I visited the Pergamon Museum in Berlin, I saw that the museum had not only reconstructed the city gate as well as what was known as Nebuchadnezzar's processional way, but also the wall of the throne room of Nebuchadnezzar. It was the palace wall, as we have just seen, that was the source of Nebuchadnezzar's arrogant proclamation that led to his undoing, described in the book of Daniel. The splendor of Babylon was the source of Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance, and his punishment, the man who divinized himself in the end, was turned into one who acted like an animal, and then we are told in the book of Daniel, was later restored to sanity, only to acknowledge the justice of the punishment that had been brought upon him. Looking at that wall in Berlin, I remembered that the Babylonian Talmud, produced by the community that knew of the location of ancient Babel, instructed its readers that anyone who comes upon the remains of Nebuchadnezzar's palace, should say a blessing. Blessed art thou, Lord our God, who destroyed the palace of the wicked Nebuchadnezzar. Looking upon the palace, I thought to myself, here before me are the remains. Now, of course, the rabbis meant for the blessing to be recited in the original site of the palace. Did the obligation of this blessing apply in Berlin? I was unsure. But the meaning of the blessing at that moment was clear. The rabbis are asking us, through this blessing, to ponder the twists and turns of history, to feel gratitude for the eternity of our people, and to realize that there were throughout the ages monarchs that saw all that they had built as guarantors of their eternity, only to disappear in Ozymandian fashion, as the Jewish people endure. In the end, I could not resist saying a version of the blessing, though I said it without pronouncing God's name so that there would be no halakhic concerns of a blessing that was not called for. And as I said the words, I felt the powerful presence of the Jews of Nebuchadnezzar's court, who persisted in their faith. To touch what Nebuchadnezzar once touched is to stand in the footsteps of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and to know that to mark such a moment in Berlin as a Jew is to remember their miraculous survival and to realize to be a Jew today, with Babel and so many other destructive empires and ruins, is certainly a miracle and a marvel as well. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.